Welcome to the Fertility Podcast. So we're on episode two of the Fertility Podcast, and I'm very pleased to welcome Chief Executive of the Infertility Network UK, Susan Seenan, to the podcast. Welcome, Susan. Thank you, Natalie. Now, I'd like to know a bit more from you about the background of the Infertility Network UK, because on your About page, you've got a stat of one in six couples in the UK today having difficulty conceiving, which is pretty staggering number can you just give me a bit more about how it came to be the network yes of course the infertility network uk was actually put together by the merging of two smaller charities one was called issue the other was called child and we came together in 2003 to form infertility network uk so we have been infertility network uk for just over 10 years but we have actually been around for a lot longer than that and is the name because words like infertility people aren't so scared of using them would that be fair to say i think there's a mixed view out there we have always been infertility network uk because We didn't want people to be afraid to talk about infertility. We didn't want there to be a taboo around infertility. Unfortunately, I think some people still feel that infertility itself is a negative word and has a lot of negative connotations. And although infertility is actually an illness and it's something which should be treated, it's not always easy to be treated on the NHS, but there is treatment out there which can help. A lot of people actually prefer to think Welcome to the Fertility Podcast. So I think, no, there's still some negative connotations around the word infertility, despite all the work we've tried to do to change that. Fertility being described as an illness, to me, sounds almost quite overwhelming. Is is that to make people realise that it's something that then can be treated? It's a something. It's almost giving it more kind of credibility, saying it's an illness. Yes, I think it does. It does give it credibility. It is an illness. Infertility is defined as an illness by the World Health Organization. And I think giving it a label like that actually helps focus people on the fact that there is something that they can do to help treat it. There are lots of options out there for people, whether that's going through treatments like IVF or whether it's having some kind of treatment to tackle the cause of the infertility. And I think taking control of that and knowing you can do something about it can be a massive help when you're struggling to cope with the fact that you can't conceive naturally like all your friends seem to be doing. The, the, the network has got all sorts of resources on it, which we'll talk about. Um, and I, I just want to mention some of the different health organisations that you work with, for example, the HFEA and fertility nurses. Can you just explain a bit more about that? We work with all the professional bodies in the UK and abroad as well. We work very closely with the HFEA, which regulates all the fertility treatments. And I think that's important because we can put across the patient perspective to these organisations. Quite often patients find that they can't or don't have the opportunity to put their views forward to these bodies and we can do that for them. So we know what it feels like. We talk to patients all of the time and a lot of the staff working for Infertility Network UK have actually suffered from fertility problems themselves. So we do know how it feels and we can get across to organisations like the HFEA, like the British Fertility Society um, and all these professional bodies what it feels like to be a patient and what they should be looking for and thinking about if they're trying to make the patient experience better. So I think it's really important that we are, we're kind of patient advocates and can put their views forward for them. 
when you go through fertility treatment, as, as you'll be fully aware, you are offered counselling and it's something that you either choose to take on or you don't. Um, and everybody makes their own decisions. But one thing that's, I think, really vital about what you guys do is you are that support network, aren't you? Even if it's a... Because it, it can be anonymous if people... And there is a lot of shame and there is a lot of pride that's affected when there are fertility issues. I mean, I'm really keen to highlight that importance of a support net. I think it's really important that if you find that you're struggling with fertility issues, you've had a diagnosis of infertility, quite often you don't know where to turn. And I think it's important that anyone out there should be able to access support. And everybody wants to access it in different ways. Some people want to talk to somebody. Some people want to have their support from online forums. Some people like to look for professional support. Others prefer to chat to somebody who has actually been through infertility themselves and kind of knows how they're feeling from a peer support kind of perspective. And we can offer all of that. We have a a support line which is run by an ex-fertility nurse and she is a lovely person. It's available three days a week. It's free. And people can chat to Diane about either minor medical questions, questions about the treatment or questions about how they're actually feeling and get support from her. We have regional staff across the country. We can offer local regional support, either through support groups or one-to-one support. And we've also got a network of volunteers who've all been through fertility issues and can talk about their own experiences if it helps, or just listen to somebody else chat about their experience. If people need professional support, we can point them in the right direction of counselling. And you made the point about everybody being offered counselling. We recently did a survey which actually showed that not everybody is offered the counselling that they should be offered. Oh, really? Okay. And um, and I think that's really important. Everybody should be offered counselling when they're going through treatment, but quite often they're offered it far too late um, and when they are offered counselling, there can be very, very long waiting lists to actually access and chat to a counsellor. Yeah. Um, and if you're having a very difficult time, then you don't want to wait six or eight weeks or sometimes longer to talk to a counsellor. And that's something that we're really campaigning quite hard for, is for people to have better access to counselling and support. As a charity, we do what we can do. We can't offer professional counselling, although we do have some volunteer counsellors. But everybody who's out there struggling with infertility should be able to access the kind of support, whether it's professional counselling or peer support. And sometimes there's just not enough of that out there for them. We're going to put all links to the Infertility Network on the show notes for the Fertility Podcast. If you have any questions or a story you'd like to share, please email questions at thefertilitypodcast.com. Now, there's also loads of articles that you can read on the Infertility Network website. One in particular that I was keen to ask you about was what advice would you give to couples who have read the press regarding the postcode lottery, which obviously affects NHS funding for fertility treatment? I know you offer support and guidance for this if people are concerned. What we would say to anybody who's struggling to access NHS treatment, if they fulfil the NICE criteria... Um, which basically means that you're under 40 and you have a diagnosis of infertility or have unexplained infertility of two years. In that case, you should have access to up to three cycles of treatment or if you're between 40 and 42, you should be able to access one cycle of treatment. So if you fulfill that criteria and your CCG is not offering 
NHS treatment because they have put additional criteria or are just simply not funding, then there's lots of things you can do. You can write to your CCG, you can appeal against the decision, you can write to your MP and copy that letter to the Secretary of State for Health. You can also get in touch directly with Infertility Network UK with your own specific questions and we can help advise you as to how to appeal and what to include in your letter to the CCG or to your MP. And I think the more patients who actually get on board and start putting pressure on the local CCGs, the better. We work very closely with Fertility Fairness and in fact I'm one of the co-chairs of Fertility Fairness which is the campaigning body for NHS treatment and there are template letters both on the Fertility Fairness website and the Infertility Network UK website which you can download and personalise and send off and of course now you can also tweet your MP if sending a letter is maybe a bit time consuming send off a quick tweet to your MP asking him for support for full NHS funding fertility so, so don't be afraid i mean those the pdf downloadable letters that you've just said are are such a help because that can be you know the starting point in itself can be overwhelming when it's such a you know a tough issue i think one of the most difficult things about finding out that you have fertility problems and you need infertility treatment is then actually finding that you can't access that treatment and it's so unfair it shouldn't be the case that accessing nhs treatment depends on where you live your code shouldn't come into it nhs treatment for infertility should be the same as any other treatment for any other illness you should be able to access it nationally and patients find it really difficult to understand how in some areas you can access three cycles of treatment and yet perhaps in their area it's one or in the odd occasion no cycles of treatment there's one or two areas in the country Vale of York at the moment in particular where we're campaigning very heavily to get them to reinstate funding because they're they're funding no treatment at all at the moment. So if there is a couple who have gone through the steps that we've said, say they've been to the doctor and they've been to they've chosen a clinic, they've been told whatever that they they're only eligible for the one cycle. They've had that one cycle, but then they hear that a friend in a different postcode has had access to three cycles. Are they then able to then campaign to get that eligibility for the three? Yes, they can. What I would say is it's very difficult to get the CCGs to change their mind if their policy is only to fund one cycle then it's quite difficult to get them to up that cycle but in some areas where we've had a lot of success it's been because lots of people have got in touch with their CCG to reinforce how important it is for them to fund more cycles. The CCGs are able to make their own local decisions based on local priorities so if enough people force the issue and make the CCG understand how much of a priority it is to fund three cycles of NHS treatment, the more likely they are to actually change their provision of treatment. So um, it's always worth campaigning, it's always worth appealing and it's always worth lobbying for more treatment. Moving on to a different area, to something that you are highlighting on the Infertility Network website. Poor sperm health is something that is becoming more and more relevant, and there are now these kits. The Sperm Check Fertility Kits are one that uh, you guys are talking about on on your website. How do you think they're being received? It's a pretty embarrassing thing for a guy to have to give a sample and especially then if the problem becomes about them and so there are these repeat samples. Do you think that doing it in the comfort of your own home means that more men are likely to do the test and the reluctancy is going to decrease? I think it's always helpful as a starting point to be able to do something like that in the privacy of your own home, whether it's a sperm 
test or whether it's an ovarian reserve test. What we always say though is it only measures one aspect of your fertility. So it will only tell you, for instance, whether you have a poor sperm count or or poor motility. It won't tell you if there are any other issues and it won't tell you if there are any issues on the female side. In the same way as if you do an ovarian reserve test, if a female partner does that, that will not highlight any other issues that she may have or any sperm issues that her male partner might have. So these are helpful, but they do only measure one aspect of your fertility, but it's a good starting point and doing it in the comfort of your own home does take away some of the embarrassment. Yeah, but don't just stop there, then go and see your doctor and continue to ask questions. Yeah, if you've just started trying and you're just not sure and you want to perhaps just do a check and see if there might be an issue, then it's a good starting point. If you've been trying for a year or a couple of years, um, and you have to take your age into consideration as well, particularly the female age. So, you know, if you're over 35, we would say if you've been trying for more than six months, even if you have done some of these tests and they've come back okay, if you've been trying for over six months and you're over 35, then you should go to your GP to get checked out. Um, If you're under 35, then give it a year or so. But if you've done one of these tests and it has come up with what you think is a problem, then it's a good way of being fast-tracked and actually going to your GP and saying, I think I've done one of these tests. I think there may be a a problem. Could I have some more checks? They do offer some information, and I think information is always helpful. It's just not, not enough to rely on just doing one test because infertility and fertility is a very complex issue. And to be sure that everything has been addressed, then you really need to see a fertility specialist. Now, with regards to the period of time you've been trying, you just said if you're over 35 and it's been six months, there is this, I don't know whether it's a myth or whether it is still true, that even at 35, if you go to see your GP and you say you've only been trying six months, they will also say, wait till you've been trying for a year. So are you pretty much saying, because I know full well, myself and other girlfriends who it wasn't happening as quick, went and said we've been trying for a year, even if it had only been that six-month point? It's a pity that GPs, aren't more supportive and more sympathetic at times but age unfortunately on the female side does have a big impact and I would say to anyone who is over 35 not to be fobbed off. I think the NICE guideline actually suggests that if you're 36 or over then you should be fast-tracked and that would be worth quoting to your GP but I, if, I, if it were me and I were 36 or over then I wouldn't wait any longer than six months. Most couples will fall pregnant within the first year of trying. But if you take into account the length of time it's going to take to get tested and then perhaps to get on a waiting list for treatment, once you hit 35, 36, you really do need to move quicker than you would if you were slightly younger. And it's not as important for men, but it's definitely important to take age into account on the female side. The Fertility Podcast. Now, we've covered a lot of ground already, Susan, which is brilliant. And one one thing about the Fertility Podcast is to give as much information as we can. You do all sorts of events. And at the end of September, you've got a Fertility Information Day in Cardiff, haven't you? We have. We actually have two Fertility Information Days at the end of September. One right. is in Cardiff on the 27th of September. And on the same day, we have one in Belfast, Northern Ireland. They're a great source of information for patients in the local area. There are probably around eight or nine different seminars, talks that we'll have there, plus Infertility Network UK staff will be there to chat to and answer any questions, whether it's about NHS funding, whether it's about local issues or how to access counselling, how to get support, anything at all. We're always happy to chat to patients. 
Well, we'll put all the details of how people can still register because there's a couple of weeks um, before that. And then, obviously, October to November, we have National Fertility Awareness Week That's starting right, on yes. the 27th of October. Mm-hmm. And there's much more happening with you guys, of course, your involvement with the Fertility Show. And we're going to be talking with Jonathan Scott in a later episode of Fertility Podcast. Any other events that you'd like to highlight uh, for that week that's happening? National Fertility Awareness Week, as you say, starts on the 27th of October and finishes on the 2nd of November with the weekend of the Fertility Show. And the week is actually a chance for everyone to get involved in raising awareness about fertility and infertility-related issues. And they can do it in all sorts of ways. We focused on on two issues um, and ways of raising awareness. One is mainly for clinics, where the clinics are joining and showing their support for the week by making a small donation to the charity for all the embryos created that week. So that's good because it does help us to carry on the work that we're doing and it also helps raise awareness of issues surrounding fertility and infertility. Individuals um, and also clinics can also get involved in what we call our great cake bake, where you can bake some cakes, buy some cupcake toppers if you want to put them on top of your cupcakes, which have the National Fertility Awareness Week logo, and have a, a chat over a cup of coffee, eat some cake. There's some healthy recipes on the website as well if you're watching what you're eating. All of this helps to raise awareness as well as raise some funds for the charity, which then helps us to provide more local support and also helps us to train more volunteers who in turn give support to lots and lots more people because although we talk about one in six couples suffering from infertility that actually equates in the UK to three and a half million people at the moment. Huge amounts. It's a huge amount of people and we're not a large charity we do struggle to get support in the way that some of the larger charities do so raising awareness um, and raising some funds at the same time really helps us to continue to provide the support that we want to and to extend that support across the country. And do you think that people are talking about this more from the work that you tirelessly do and would you say that you feel that people are now more open? I think in general it is becoming more acceptable to talk about fertility problems there's no doubt about that but sadly there is still very much a stigma around infertility and there are many people who just don't want to admit that they have a fertility problem infertility needs to be seen as something which is not anybody's fault it's something which you have no control over you know if you have a fertility problem it's not because you've done something wrong it's not because you're to blame in any way and particularly men need to accept that if there's a, a male fertility problem It's not their fault. It's just one of those things. It's not any different to suffering from any other medical condition. And people need more and more to see it as something which happens, which you should and can get some help for, but you should never be ashamed to admit that you have a fertility problem. Um, I think it's becoming easier to talk about it. It is becoming less taboo. And we're trying very hard to bring it, as we said last year, out of the closet and get more people to talk about it. But unfortunately, a lot of people still find it very, very difficult to talk about. It's a very private subject. If you were trying for a baby naturally, you wouldn't tell people that that's what you were doing. You know, you would just... You would just wait and when it happened, you would make your announcement and, you know, that's how it should be. You don't talk about your your baby making um, issues generally. When you suffer from fertility problems, you just don't want to share it with people either. We want people to understand that it's not anybody's fault. It's just one of those things and there is no shame in suffering from infertility. And also that there is help and support out there. 
from us and from lots of other organisations. Now, I was going to ask for your tips for couples or for singles on their fertility journey, anybody that's struggling, um, but I think you've probably just summed it up. Is there anything that you'd add? I think the one thing that I would say is if you're concerned about your fertility problems, go and speak to your GP. The sooner you get diagnosed and the sooner you can access treatment, the more chance you have of being successful and it may be that you don't need IVF treatment it may be that there are some small things that you might be able to do which can help but speaking to a professional speaking to your GP and being referred quickly if that's what you need if you do need referral for further treatment can make a huge difference to actually ultimately being successful I would say don't be afraid to talk about it if you can't talk about it with friends and family come to somebody like Infertility Network UK we've got lots of people who are happy to chat to you and to point you in the right direction for further support if that's what you need. So there are people there if you can't talk to your friends and your family. There are other people there who who you can talk to anonymously who will respect your confidence and who actually know how it feels. Susan, thank you so much. We're going to put, as I've said, all the details of the different organisations and the different links to different parts of the Infertility Network UK website on the show notes. So, okay. and, and also, one thing that I haven't spoken to you about, which I'd like to in a future episode, is the work you do with... Uh, your more to life network for people who Mm -hmm. have obviously gone through treatment and then are going to look at other options and ways if they are involuntarily childless so if we can talk about that as a in a future date that would be Mm -hmm. great susan thank you so much for your time thank you very much it was lovely to talk to you so thank you so much again to Susan Seenan from the Infertility Network UK. Even though she had a little bit of a cold, I'm sure you'll agree, there was tons of interesting information there. Have a look at infertilitynetworkuk.com. I'm also going to put all details of what Susan's been talking about on the blog. So head over to thefertilitypodcast.com forward slash episode two. That's the number two. And you'll be able to download those notes. Do follow me on Twitter at fertilitypoddy. It'd be lovely to have a chat with you. And if you've listened to this podcast on iTunes, well, I'm new. So it'd be brilliant if you fancy giving me a review because that's what makes it all happen. If there's one thing that you can take away from that chat with Susan, one thing that maybe you look up or you're going to have a word with your GP, I really hope because that's what this podcast is all about. Do make sure you subscribe. In the next episode, we're going to be hearing from Sarah Garrett, who is the organiser of the Alternative Parenting Show. A whole other way of having a family if fertility treatment isn't your thing if you've been talking about co-parenting or adoption or surrogacy there is so much to learn about the wonderful world of having a family so we'll see you next time if you have any questions or a story you'd like to share please email questions at the fertility podcast.com